Welcome to the Define You Radio Podcast, where class is always in session. Get ready for the life lessons, tips, and stories to help you define your life. And now your host, the drill sergeant would love, Valencia Griffin Wallace. Thank you so much for tuning in to Define You Radio. I'm your host, Valencia Griffin Wallace. Class is in session today with our special guest, Ms. Corey Logitis. And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> you, guys sure know, <laughs> you guys know how I do with names and even the word entrepreneurial, which is a battle. Corey mm-hmm. is an all-around woman who coaches, writes, speaks, and runs a podcast. She shows people how to release negative emotions, which is something y'all got to deal with. Okay, it's time to release that. So you can unleash your personal growth. As a single mom, she has survived divorce, abuse, and a devastating suicide. We're going to get into all of that. Let's go ahead and get pens and papers ready. Class is now in session. And welcome, Miss Corey, to the show. Hey, Corey, how are you doing today? Hi, I am great. How about you? I am doing pretty, pretty good, pretty good. I am very excited to have you on. You have an amazing story. And when I read your bio, I was like, gosh, this is like a, almost like a checklist of trauma or obstacles, however you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. You are truly a survivor and it's what women's history month. So I celebrate you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So why don't you go ahead and tell us about some of those obstacles that shaped who you are today? Sure. Um, So usually the way I like to kind of, you know, describe it to people who who just met me is for 15 years, I was running my family's electronics distribution business. Um, So we're a third generation entrepreneur, you know, I'm helping run the family's business. I was working as an SVP, Um, you know, so I was literally running the operation. And while I was doing that in a four-year time frame, I went through more, you know, as you said, trauma in a period of four years than most people go through in a lifetime. So while I was running the business and had all that stress going on, I had, you know, a miscarriage. Then, you know, after the miscarriage, I realized that I was in an abusive, emotionally abusive relationship. Um... Through that came a divorce, you know, that I ended up going through a good, you know, two years of dealing with the divorce. I ended up, you know, homeless. The divorce cleared me out. Uh, I had to move in with my parents for, geez, I think I was living with them for over a year. My son at the time was only five months old. I saw him less than an hour a day. I was in a car four hours a day, you know, commuting <laughs> to, to get to my family's business to run it. And it was just crazy. You know, it was insane. And during that time frame, you know, I, I knew I didn't really, I needed to process what I was going through, but I needed to do so in a manner that it was going to be quick and efficient because I had so many responsibilities just beside myself. I mean, my son was only five months old and was entirely dependent on me. Um, you know, and I also had this large business I was running. So I'm like, how do I go through this? So I started, um, investing a lot of my time, which at that time I had a lot of time stuck in a car, <laughs> you know, while I was commuting. So I, I did a lot of, you know, self-education, audiobooks, podcasts, and I just kind of consumed any kind of content I could get my hands on, on self-development, on, you know, processing emotional trauma, you know, on divorce, on like, you know, getting through all of these challenges that I had. 
And what ended up happening was in the course of that year I was living with my parents, I was able to, within six months, fully process my divorce to the point that I was able to start dating. My therapist was actually like, I want you to start dating, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, and I also was able to save enough money to you know, buy a home. My family's business was on the up and up. So ultimately what ended up happening was despite all of this, you know, chaos I had in my life leading up to it, I was able to kind of turn it into fuel to kind of keep my motivation going. And I ended up on the other side of the roadblock, um, you know, uh, what would you say, an improved person, right? I, I was in a, a better place than I was before everything had happened. So then what ended up happening was, you know, I was dating, I dated for about a year and a half. And I, I you know, met a man I fell in love with. Um, everything, you know, we checked off the boxes for each other. We were what each other was looking for. We were talking about getting married, having kids, our, our children were best friends, you know, at that point, I was with him over a year. And then, you know, when everything was all settled, and I thought things were moving in a specific direction, my boyfriend died by suicide. Uh, so there I was, you know, once again at a fork in a road, like I had been before, where I was handed something that I didn't plan on, that I didn't want, and I had to figure out what I was going to do with it. And, you know, at that point, I had to deal with my own depression. But what I was able to do is because I had been through so much in the three years before that, I was able to process the trauma much, much quicker. And I made some very major life changes that as a result, I am now probably in the happiest headspace I've ever been in. Um, but it's because I didn't sit back and let, um, you know, life lead me. I took the bull by the horns and I decided, okay, well, you know, this is an opportunity to change my life. What am I going to do with it? And that's how I ended up where I am today. <laughs> that is a mouthful and a half as I say, especially to go through all of that in a four-year period. Mm -hmm. How long ago was your last, well, how long ago was the suicide? It was in June of 2018. Oh, so that was really recent. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, I kind of want to go back to the miscarriage. What year was that? Uh, that was 2014. Yeah, 2014. How far along were you? Uh, I was eight weeks. So I was right at the point that I should have been going to the doctor to get my sonogram to double check that everything was going well. Now, I know that in itself, and we're definitely going to touch on the other things, but I know people that have had miscarriages and you know, some early, some late, and it's this lifelong, what did I do wrong type thing. How did the miscarriage in particular affect you? Um, you know, of everything I went through, that one I probably processed the quickest, only because I, I kind of knew that in order for my body to miscarry, it had to have meant that there was something wrong. You know what I mean? And it wasn't anything personal with me. It could have been, you know, with the embryo, it could have been any number of things. I mean, miscarriage is so common. No one talks about it, but it affects one in four women. Wow. Um, you know, so even after I, you know, experienced my miscarriage and, and this is actually a common theme through everything I had been through, I am a very, very vocal and kind of open and honest person. 
So I would just talk to whoever. I have no filter. So I'd be like, yeah, I had a miscarriage. <laughs> and, um, you know, I found so many other people around me, especially women, you know, had had them too. So knowing this, I was able to kind of like process it and accept it easier, knowing that it's kind of like a stepping stone for a lot of successful pregnancies. And I, I knew that eventually I would have a baby, just that one for whatever reason you know, wasn't meant to be. So when you went into your, your pregnancy with your son, mm -hmm. which was after the miscarriage. Yeah. I got pregnant with him maybe two months later. Was there a fear there as you went along? Okay. Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, there was a fear. I mean, I was, I was all tweaked out, you know, especially the first eight weeks with the first trimester, you know, we didn't tell anybody. Um, you know, even though now if I were ever to get pregnant again, I would love to, you know, have more children at some point in time. Um, but you know, I, I think this go around, I would probably just let people know I'm pregnant right away. Cause I would want that support. Um, you know, should I miscarry? Um, there's, I, I really don't understand the, uh, what's the word for it? The stigma. Mm -hmm. surrounding it because it is such a common thing for women to go through that I feel like everybody should be able to support each other when it happens as opposed to having to to deal with it privately unless it is that you want to deal with it privately but I find that you know the more I share about mine the more other women want to share their story with me I think in a, in addition to the you know part of the stigma is when you tell people you know I've had a miscarriage that it it leads to follow-up questions Mm -hmm. Well, what was wrong with you? What was wrong with the baby? You know, people mm -hmm. tend to take the filters off. I notice uh, when it comes to trauma sometimes, especially right. when it's something because it's easier to say, well, something's wrong with you because I've had a, a successful pregnancy type situation, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's if someone were to say that, I mean, it's not out of any kind of malice. Right. You know, they want you to feel bad. It's more out of ignorance, um, you know, that maybe like, yeah, they were one of the, you know, lucky, you know, three and four uh, that they didn't have that scenario. But it's more common than not. I mean, I know in, in my own instance, I would say probably every single woman I talked to after I had mine had experienced one. At least, you know, my friends that were married that were, you know, that, that was the next step. Um, the one that was most surprising that shared it with me was I had no idea my mother had miscarried before me. Hmm. Um, so that opens up, you know, a conversation, you know, of healing for both of us, you know, cause it wasn't something that she had ever shared with anybody, you know, until she came to, to console me. Did that make you want to get pregnant more? Like when you got pregnant and you had the miscarriage, was it accidental or on purpose? No, it was on purpose. So did um, it, did it make you want to be pregnant more? Yes, it did. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that was something I had wanted for a long time. Um, I wanted to be a mom. Now the emotional abuse, and thank you so much for being so uh, transparent in that, you know, and that part helps, uh, helps a lot of women that normally wouldn't talk about that, mm -hmm. you know? The abuse in your marriage, did that happen? At what point in a marriage did it happen? Was it at the beginning, before the miscarriage? Was the miscarriage maybe a catalyst 
of the emotional abuse? It definitely was a catalyst. It made things worse, but um, a lot of things in my experience was there were things, you know, that um, it was more like the way he would communicate with me and things that he did that I didn't realize were, you know, quote unquote abusive until I checked myself into therapy, you know, when we were going through our divorce. Um, you know, so it's, it's one of those things, and this is so common too, for, for women that find themselves in either abusive, um, you know, physically abusive or emotionally abusive relationships is that they don't realize the abuse because it's always, it's kind of like sandwich. You have like the, you know, really like crappy kind of behavior towards you. And then you're smothered with like great behavior after. Mm -hmm. So you're always kind of waiting for that good spell to happen again, which is similar to what it was like when you first met and you love each other and all this, that. Um, you know, and it just, it got to the point, um, you know, definitely my miscarriage triggered it. Um, and ultimately, you know, even though I've never, I haven't had the conversation with him about it. And by the way, let me preface everything by saying my ex-husband and I are on, you know, amicable terms <laughs> with everything. Um, so even with all that aside, he had his own trauma and stuff as a child that I believe led him to, you know, learn to communicate in the way that he did that was abusive towards me. Um, so I forgive him, you know, for whatever may have happened as a result of that. And also through my own self-development, I had to learn how to set better boundaries because in general, a lot of people who find themselves in emotionally abusive relationships, they have very, uh, very flexible boundaries that allow, you know, somebody to treat themselves, treat them in that manner uh, for prolonged periods of time. So I had to get better with that myself. So it's kind of a two-sided um, situation, you know, not just one person's at fault. Um, but with that said, the, the miscarriage definitely started it. Uh, then, you know, I got pregnant with my son immediately after. And it was through my pregnancy. I'm not sure if, you know, he never really wanted to be a dad to begin with. I think there's a strong possibility towards that, that it kind of unleashed, you know, some stuff within him. But I mean, our marriage disintegrated really, really quickly after I got pregnant. And when it came time that we decided that we were going to split, um, you know, my, my ex had some, um, you know, addiction issues and stuff as well that really spiked, you know, during the pregnancy as a result of the, the miscarriage and everything that we were just going through um, together. And things just unwound really, really quickly. And my son was only five months old you know, we decided we can't do this. And for me, it was more, I can't have two children that like I'm, I'm taking care of, you know, this, this individual who is, you know, obviously hurt. He has addictions. He had a traumatic childhood. He, as a result, treats me <laughs> in a really awful way, you know, but with my son there, I was like, I can't continue to accept this. Um, you know, I didn't want two children. I wanted my son to have a better role model. And ultimately the two of us wanted different lives. I wanted to, you know, live in the suburbs and have a family and a traditional life. And my, you know, ex-husband was more of a, an artist. He wanted to, you know, go out at night and like party and live in the city. You know, very, we had very, very different like values and ideas and what we wanted in life, which I think is why now that, you know, we are split, we're able to stay so amicable because ultimately our situations are better, um, you know, as a result of the split. You know, we're both doing what we want to do as opposed to, you know, trying to force something together that, that probably shouldn't have been together to begin with. Even right. though really, it, no, I, I mean, it was, it did have a purpose. The purpose was to create our son, um, you know, which we recognize and realize and my son is the best thing, you know, ever, every month's always going to say that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's 
kind of how that all kind of tied together. So the miscarriage and the divorce were kind of like hand in hand. Okay. I always say boys are the best and that's because I have a son. So mm-hmm. I am very partial. Anyone that listens to the show know that I'm very partial to boys. However, my son is, he'll be 22 tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about that part. I'm like, oh, I wish I could go back, not to the diaper changing part, because mm-hmm. frankly, my stomach was weak, <laughs> which is why he's still the only child. Right. But there's a special bond. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a special bond between a mom and a son. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're the mother of a son, it changes the way you date. So mm-hmm. after going through all of this, you decide to go to therapy. What was that decision like and that experience? Well, it's it's interesting because, you know, when I was thinking of going to therapy, it wasn't initially for me. So our marriage just integrated so quickly and, you know, my ex's addictions got so out of hand. Initially, I started researching therapists for him. Right. Cause I, I was concerned about him, you know, he was depressed and whatever else, you know, I, I was worried for his safety. Um, then, you know, he admitted some things to me that he did, you know, um, during my pregnancy that, you know, it was going to break the marriage no matter what. And I needed to kind of figure out my place and how everything had happened. So that's when I decided, okay, well maybe I should go and speak to a professional <laughs> about it. And um, so the therapist I ended up choosing was one that was on a list initially to give him uh, to go and speak to. So she kind of knew my story abstractly just from what I had shared with her, you know, um, why I was researching, you know, somebody for my husband to go and see. And uh, I, it was a long time ago now, but I remember going into the session and basically, you know, stating my purpose of why I wanted to go was because I wanted to figure out why my ex-husband would have done what he did, um, you know, to uh, have, you know, what did I do to make him do that and think it was okay, right? right? To completely disintegrate our marriage. And she literally looked me in the eye and she's like, you need to know right now, I'm going to tell you this. It's not going to be what you want to hear. You may never come back, Hmm. you know, to therapy as a result of it, but you're in an abusive situation. You and your son need to get out of there right away. It is not safe. You should not be treated like this. It is not your fault. (laughs) You know, anything happens. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And, um, yeah, I mean, that therapist, you know, changed my life and I still work with her today. She's, she's wonderful. Um, but yeah, that was a a definite turning point and I had a lot of work to do. Um, you know, during that, I I saw her for six months following my divorce and then she graduated me quote unquote (laughs) that I was better and I didn't have to go anymore. Um, but I mean, it was a lot of work on my self-esteem you know, in particular, because I had very, very low self-esteem to accept, you know, being treated the way that I was being treated and talked to the way that I was being spoken to. Um, I had to work on, you know, my goals, what I wanted out of life, um, you know, how to be a better mother. You know, there's a lot of self-development that happens in that six months. And when I popped out the other side, I mean, I was so friggin' happy. (laughs) Um, You know, and I was the one, uh, I was the breadwinner. So, you know, I had to pay for the whole divorce and I ended up having no money by the time I was done with everything. Um, so, so that was, um, a lot to kind of handle, uh, you know, then figuring out what it was I wanted to do next in life and, you know, how I was going to survive with my son. Um, 
but yeah. Sorry, what was the question? I kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you did. You did. You did great because we we're talking about therapy. But I love because mm -hmm. normally, and I have not went to therapy since mm -hmm. I've been an, an adult. However, okay. um, at one point in time, I did. I I was studying to become a therapist, but I was like, oh my gosh, the amount of school. It's not. No, I'm not going to do it. But one of the things that that you learn is that generally they don't tell you what to do so the fact that your therapist said you know hey you need to get out of this situation kudos to her on mm -hmm. that part so when we spoke earlier you were saying that your therapist encouraged you to date yes so how <laughs> how was that and what was the result of that situation well, she encouraged me to start dating. And initially I was like, you're nuts. <laughs> How could I do that? Because, um, you know, my ex-husband, he was my first and only, like, I didn't, I, I met him when I was so young, you know, I didn't have any dating experience before him. So I kind of felt like I was being thrown to the wolves. You know, I didn't, I'm like, I don't know what to do. Um, but I kind of took that, like I took any other kind of life change for me and I used it as an opportunity to just kind of gather as much information and content as I could about dating as a single mom. So I listened to like all these podcasts, read all these books, and I became um, kind of like a dating professional. <laughs> so in the, in that period, um, you know, when my, my therapist graduated me and then I started dating, it was about a year and a half. In that year and a half, I no joke dated on a regular basis for some period of time, 30 men. Mm. Um, you know, and it, it was through that, that I really got a lot of perspective on what I wanted in a relationship because I knew what didn't work, right. <laughs> but I didn't know what, you know, was going to work for me. Um, you know, I had to do still some more self-esteem work, you know, which the dating helped with that a lot. Um, you know, figuring out what my values were, what were deal breakers, what weren't. And then, you know, along somewhere along those lines, I think, um, you know, my late boyfriend was number 28 on the list of 30. <laughs> uh, but I came across him and it was one of those things that it was like, all right, well, he was, he was making the initiative. Um, he wanted the relationship to move faster than I did. I wasn't ready at that point. Um, but it worked and it was what I realized it was what I wanted. Um, you know, and things just kind of clicked and it was the easiest relationship I'd ever been in. Um, we never even fought. So being that he was 28 out of 30, mm -hmm. <laughs> that means, okay, I'm 95% sure you're the one, but let me go on two more dates. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no, I kept going. I don't, I, well, and here's one thing for any of the ladies out there that are dating right now. Do not, don't ever give up your freedom until a man tells you he wants to commit. Mm. until the man actually tells you that he only wants to see you and you guys define the relationship, you should do whatever the heck you want to do because really they're not going to respect you until you do it. That is 100% true. Mm -hmm. I could only imagine going from, you know, dating your ex-husband and how that went when you were younger to all of a sudden being thrown into this online world of dating where you like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get kidnapped. <laughs> no, I actually, you know, I thought it was great because for me, I'm really big about like data and efficiency. 
Yeah. Right. And that, that's just probably part of like my corporate brain, you know, like working in my family's company for so long. And I had so little time because I was still running my family's business. So, you know, and I was a single mom. So I'm like, all right, well, how do I fit this dating thing in? And a lot of that was through being really diligent about how I screened people through online dating. It allowed me larger access to a pool of people that I wouldn't have met because I wasn't going out to, to bars and restaurants and doing things where I would be meeting people in person all the time. But I had to get um, really particular in how I would like read through a profile and understand whether or not they were worthy you know, of a date. Right. You know, and, and then from there, it becomes um, you know, streamlining. It's almost like kind of like a sales funnel. Um, streamlining from there, okay, well, you, know, you don't want to waste a lot of time on a first date because for me, you know, since I was a single mom, I'm paying a babysitter, right? right? So I, my, my time is, is valuable. So I'm not going to, you know, waste an hour and a half, two hours on a dinner with somebody the first time I meet them. You know, so I started doing like just a drink or just a coffee to start. And then if that kicked off, then, you know, go out for, you know, formal dinner or whatever it is that I would pick. But I was making very, very kind of strategic and purposeful um, decisions in my dating life that ultimately ended up becoming successful for me. It worked. <laughs> did you did you start dating with the intent to get married again? Yes. That was something I knew I wanted and I knew I wanted more children. After after my divorce year many, many years ago, um, I was like, Oh, I'm done. I'm just gonna date around till my son graduates college and never mm -hmm. marry again. But in the process of that, I met my husband online mm -hmm. and what was crazy is he actually lived five minutes from me like literally around the corner mm -hmm. and we never would have met and on our first the first time we talked on the phone we actually both said you know kind of been there done that I just want to have fun till my kids grow up literally oh, wow. <laughs> and what and you know here we are all these years later happily married and it was the best decision I made. Mm -hmm. um, well, let me rephrase it. It's definitely the best decision he made for his life. <laughs> <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> but a lot of women are, are scared of online dating. And I think the stigma with that is coming off because mm -hmm. people assume whatever. And I'm like, well, I met my husband, you know, online. And you can look on book and we're very happy. So, mm -hmm. I mean, nobody has club time. Well, you still, I mean, you could online date and still be safe about it. So that's one of the reasons I would always stick with, you know, a drink, whether it right. be, you know, an alcoholic drink or a coffee, because it's a very, um, you know, usually there's a lot of people that are there. It's very quick. So if you don't feel, you know, good vibes, you could be in and out in 20 minutes tops. Um, and I mean, of course, you're going to want to meet somebody there. You're not going to want to let them pick you up yet. Right. Even though it's, you know, the chivalrous thing to do. Uh, but there are ways to go about online dating and be safe about it. It's all about that screening process. It's definitely mm -hmm. dating period. Cause you can mm -hmm. meet somebody wherever, like in person and still end up, you know, kidnapped or if something's going to happen, it's going to happen regardless. That just tends to be my philosophy. However, people that know me know that I kick box and I know a little Krav Maga so I can handle myself you know right. <laughs> especially you know with traveling you know you have to know how to defend yourself in life period mm -hmm. so you know y'all meet y'all date he's the one you're the one 
relationships going great, then what happens? Uh, well, really what ended up happening, it was his story and not mine. You know, so he, um, he had his own demons that, you know, way, you know, came way before I came into the picture, which he was always very upfront with me about. Um, you know, he was handling it how he needed to handle it. Um, one of the things that I always really admired about him was his dedication to his self-care and his mental health. Um, but long story short, what ended up happening was he was unhappy with his job, so he decided to switch. And in the process of switching jobs, his stress level went through the roof and he just was not able to handle it well. And he ultimately made a very permanent decision to a temporary problem. And you can't really turn back the clocks on that. It's, it was his choice and what he did. And, um, you know, we, it surprised everybody, you know, he didn't give any kind of, um, you know, like hints that he would even be considering that. I mean, I, I knew cause I was the one that saw him the most that he wasn't in a good headspace, but he was talking to me about every single aspect of what he was having challenges with. He was still going to his therapist. He was, you know, putting in the work, you know, for his mental health. So I never in a million years would have thought, you know, that day that he would have done what he did. Um, you know, and even the night before he did it, you know, we had plans to go to a concert that day, you know, and last thing he told me was good night. I love you. I'll see you tomorrow. Hmm. You know, and doing education for myself, you know, following what happens, you know, I have a, a large amount of empathy for what he must've gone through. Because uh, even on my own podcast, I've, you know, interviewed suicide survivors. And, you know, when you get to that, you know, deep, dark depression and you get suicidal ideation, from my understanding, though, I, I experienced it once, you know, in the aftermath of everything. And it was not pretty. Um, it's like you're looking down a dark tunnel and you don't see anything else and you just want the pain to stop. Yeah. And that's it. And that's, you know, it, it pains me. That's what he was going through. Um, but you know, it was his own journey and his own decision. And I know it has nothing to do with me. He never, you know, it's actually an interesting point too, because, you know, my parents, for example, they were initially, they absolutely adored him. Probably one of the first men that I was dating that my dad actually liked. Mm. <laughs> my dad's a, you know, old school Italian. So he hated everybody, uh, but he really liked him. And, um, you know, one of the things that had initially upset them, which in hindsight is kind of silly. They're like, well, if he ever thought of doing this, you know, he should have broken up with you. Hmm. And I'm like, no, you know, I'm like, because to the very last day, you know, he showed me I was important and told me he loved me, you know, so it's, it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with him. You know, it wasn't anything that I did because every single action that he took, you know, which men are, you know, they, they show and express their emotions through their actions. Um, everything just showed me that I was an asset to his life and I made things better and that he, he loved me and cared for me. So no, I'm glad he didn't break up with me because had he done that, I would have thought there was something wrong with me that then made him do mm. that. Suicide is something, you know, I have personally experienced in in twice in my life and it's something and i've talked about it on the show that i honestly thought about and almost accidentally on purpose as i say um it was almost a situation in my life mm -hmm. but 
So I know what it's like to look in that dark tunnel and not see anything because you feel worthless. Uh, you There's like not even a, a spark to indicate any light. And you're good at pretending because I was still able to function throughout the day to where I could say that if if it happened, everybody would have been surprised because I was like, you know, I don't know if it's my Aquarius thing, if it's that mom thing, what is it in me that makes it makes me really good at not dealing with my emotions? Because guess what? It's too much other stuff that needs to be done. Right. So, but being on the other end of suicides, meaning, you know, a survivor of suicide, there's always questions. And there is even some emotional guilt as far as from my experience, when my uncle committed suicide back in 2007, Mm -hmm. then you deal with the religious aspect of they're going to hell, Mm -hmm. you know? So let's talk a little bit about that. How do you process that? Because you're going to always have questions about why they did it that you'll never get answers to. Right. Yeah. No, suicide in particular is a very complex grief and it's something that was really, really difficult for um, you know me to explain to you know the, some friends that I had that were trying to support me and trying to compare it to you know their like uncle, for example, dying of cancer recently. It's not the same. Right. You know, people don't get angry at cancer, you know, <laughs> right. quote unquote. But they, you know, it's it's difficult when you're angry at the person who killed themselves. Right. It's like why would they do that? There's a certain level of you know, confusion and anger and guilt. And it's just a really, really awful thing to have to, to deal with. Um, for me in particular, the saving grace to everything was right away I found a suicide loss survivor group mm. uh, in my community. And I started going probably within two or three weeks of losing him. And the thing that's so tragic about it is when he did it, um, apparently late spring is a very common time. Uh, for people to decide to take their lives. And the, you know, the week that I started going, there were four or five other families that joined the group that they had lost, you know, a loved one in the same time frame. Um, so large numbers of people. And I still go to these support groups uh, now, you know, and it's been kind of a lovely process to support each other through this same type of loss that we all understand, but the rest of the world doesn't seem to get. Um, you know, to be able to talk about the guilt, to be able to talk about, you know, feeling like we didn't do enough for whoever the person was um, and working through it and and talking about it was the best thing ever. And suicide, you know, like I, I know I mentioned the stats before on miscarriage, even more people have experienced suicide loss than anybody talks about. You know, if you look at the the statistics on it back in 2017, when I first looked all of this up, 800,000 people worldwide died by suicide. That's on average a person every 43 seconds, which is insane. Um, When you break that out on average, each suicide loss affects six survivors. So family, Hmm. friends, coworkers, you know, people who are important to them that are then carrying this, you know, complex grief and guilt. And that's 4.3 million people a year worldwide. You know, it's a lot. So it's more common than people tend to believe. And if, it, if it's something that, you know, anybody out there that's listening right now is going through, please find a support group. 
um, it's the best thing that you could do to talk about it because this type of loss is so tremendously isolating because of how stigmatized it is um, that you can create further issues for yourself by not processing it in a healthy environment where you feel safe um, that can you know, cause later issues for you. So definitely reach out and talk to somebody about it. You're not alone. Thank, thank you for sharing that because of the people that I know that are directly attached to the suicides that have been in my family. Um, I don't know that any of them have gotten help and I can see where it was a direct effect. And mm -hmm. I know, you know, with my uncle, it was so crazy because, you know, he was a Marine. He got out of the Marines and became a fireman. So you talk about the strongest man you know. Mm -hmm. However, he was taught, you know, if you know a Marine, you know a Marine. Mm -hmm. Like you, you know, they mm -hmm. are taught. You never knew what was going on with him because he very much had that Marineness, <laughs> you know, about right. him. So it was so unexpected and, and crazy that when I actually was told, I just knew they were lying. Like mm -hmm. I would have expected anybody else besides him, mm -hmm. but it made me question myself because I was like, if the strongest person I know can't deal with life, how can I? Did you go through that? Um, well, I mean, I think what kind of set me up to, to, that helped me, and I re vividly remember this because I, I was actually the one to discover that he had done what he did. Um, so there was a, you know, period of like three or four hours that, you know, I was at his apartment and his family was calling me and I couldn't say anything uh, mm -hmm. because, you know, the, the police had to deliver that news. Right. Um, so it was tremendously stressful. But I remember sitting, you know, on the, the front lawn where his apartment was and looking at the sky and thinking, you know, holy shit in you know four years you have gone through so much like you can get through this yeah you know what i mean it's like you you've started over before you could start over again it's going to take you some time but you are strong and and you will get through this and i did but it took it took work you know every single thing i went through you know this is a common thing i talk about a lot both through you know my, my social media feeds and you know other interviews i give I have a tendency to, when life throws a curveball at me, I dive straight into it as opposed to trying to go around it or suppress it. Um, and it's a result of diving straight in and fully feeling all the emotions I had. Let me tell you, grief, when you truly love somebody, is so overbearing. I couldn't work for three weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it consumed every aspect of my life. It was so painful um, to the point that I made dramatic life changes. I quit my job. You know, I started my own business. Um, you know, I literally, it changed me at my core. You know, I got rid of certain friends, you know, I, I did like a, a toxic housekeeping, um, you know, an evaluation of my life. But, um, it's because I, I dove straight in and I decided, okay, well, what is this trying to teach me? Mm. All of this, what is it trying to teach me? And there's something to come out of it. And it's up to me to decide what that is. No one else is going to be able to do that for me. That's a great philosophy. Um, a great way to do things is to dive head first. Mm -hmm. Like I, like I love to say, let's talk a little bit about depression. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of times people will say I'm depressed. 
like they're already in it. But how can you recognize when you are going or about to go into depression? What does that look like? I mean, for a lot of people, I think they don't even realize the, the symptoms of depression. I know, um, you know, again, I'm not a mental health professional. I'm a coach. Um, but I do, you know, more or less focus on, you know, mental health and wellness as part of my work. So I'm not one to diagnose uh, depression in particular, but if you find that you're really lethargic, you have difficulty motivating yourself, um, changes in sleep patterns can usually be a signal. Uh, irritability is a big one if you're usually really easygoing and then out of nowhere, you're just really irritable to everybody around you. Um, that could you know, be a sign. Uh, it's more than just feeling blue hmm. and feeling blue too. I mean, there's a big difference between being, you know, clinically depressed and having situational depression. You know, so many people, you know, I, I did a lot of research on this uh, immediately following, you know, my, my late boyfriend's loss. Um, you know, they go to therapy or they go someplace to talk about, you know, whatever this trauma was that they just went through. And, you know, they describe that they're, you know, sad and they're this and they're that and they're not eating. I mean, I lost so much weight um, after everything had happened. Uh, yet so many people are instead prescribed a medication, you know, instead of taught how to process all of these feelings that are coming up for them so that they can get through it. So in a way, they're almost being taught to suppress it even further through medication uh, than by actually pro uh, processing and handling why they have situational depression, which it's normal. You know, it's, you lose somebody you love, you're supposed to not feel good for a while. It's your, your body's way of dealing with the loss, you know, and with the change. Um, so yeah, I mean that there's, there's a lot of different things that could tie to clinical depression in particular, you know, like the irritability. And I know um, the American foundation for suicide prevention they have a, a great little like graphic and like one sheet that tells you, you know, things to look out for if somebody is depressed and um, you know, what the signs are, you know, if somebody may be considering taking their life. Uh, so I'd probably refer people to there to get more information. That's another conversation that, you know, or another topic that carries a lot of stigma mm -hmm. and people don't, what I find is that people don't, have conversations as much as they should in regards to miscarriage, abuse, divorce, suicide, depression. You know, I could just do a check off list of all the things we really need to talk about in life that we don't. Mm -hmm. Because everyone, I'm 99.9% sure everyone knows what it's like to either be depressed or go into go into depression because I can feel feel it when I'm like when I'm not feeling so hot and that's how I will word it and I'll tell my husband I'm not feeling so hot right now mm -hmm. and and it's and just over the years he has come to understand what that means and it could be old stuff coming back suddenly at a point you know um, mm -hmm. It's very interesting, and I know just with my years of experience that I know what sad feels like. You right. know, mm -hmm. I know what having a blues feels like, or you know, PMS. Mm -hmm. But going into that dark place when you've been there, you never forget what the trip feels like. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, 
Um, and then I just have to kind of shut down and regroup mm-hmm. and everything. So with those things in life, people will tend to feel lonely. We all go through that. So how can you help someone that's possibly dealing with the loneliness and the isolation of trauma? Sure. Um, the, there's a few things. There's actually two things I'll touch on today, which I talk a lot about on my website. Um, first I'm going to touch on if you're depressed, something that's very, very easy that you can start to do. That'll kind of help change your, your mindset and your thinking so that you have some more motivation. And then I'm also going to touch on specifically how to deal with loneliness because loneliness in particular was something I dealt with a lot following my divorce. Uh, and it's so, I get so many questions on it. So I have a, a specific, you know, thing I can, I can recommend for that. But if you're in a blue spot, you know, where and this actually happened for me, you know, right after I lost my late boyfriend, you know, I was just like, why do I wake up? You know, things are so different. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not worth making any effort. And at one point I remember reading somewhere that, you know, I needed to kind of change my thinking from being so negative to being positive. So I was like, all right, well, how do I go about learning how to do that? And this is what I ended up figuring out and it's worked for everybody I've recommended it to since then. So every morning when I would wake up before I'd even get out of bed, I'd stare at the ceiling and I would think of five things I was grateful for within five minutes Hmm. where people get tripped up with this because gratitude for anybody who's been depressed before, gratitude is not an easy thing to come by because you hate everything you hate your life you hate you know um so what trips people up with that is thinking that it needs to be some kind of grandiose you know society's version of what gratitude should be you know like you should be happy for sunshine and rainbows and unicorns uh but that's not the way life works so for me what it looked like following you know my late boyfriend's death was i would be grateful for things like i did laundry the day before and i don't have to do it today (laughs) that you know i was able to you know sleep an extra hour you know it was very like little day-to-day things but it was something that made me feel better i didn't have to deal with it right Mm. so then by doing that repetitively every single day and it's important you do it first thing in the morning because by coming up with those five things first thing it's going to kind of change your thinking throughout the rest of the day that it's going to skew to, to be more positive than more negative. And then also as you go on throughout the day, as positive things happen, you're going to kind of make a mental note and think, okay, I need to include this on my gratitude list tomorrow morning. So it takes less than five minutes. You know, so many people, you know, and clients that I've worked with who are depressed, they'll be like, oh my God, like I can't do any effort. I'm so tired. You know, I'm like, well, there's no excuse not to do this because you're not even out of bed yet. Right. <laughs> You know, you're doing it very first thing in the morning. And if you try it and it doesn't work out, that's fine. Then you go through your day trying to notice, you know, five positive things that happen to you to bank for tomorrow morning. But you got to put in the effort at least five minutes a day. Uh, And that helped me tremendously within about a month or so. uh, I was in a completely different headspace than I was immediately following the news. Um, So that's what I would touch on for depression. Now, loneliness is a different animal. Hmm. Um, in particular, my personal opinion is the cure to loneliness is learning to embrace solitude. Hmm. Solitude and loneliness are two different things. Solitude is when you want to be by yourself and you enjoy being by yourself and you have activities that, you know, you specifically want to do on your own. Whereas loneliness is you do not feel complete unless you are in the presence of other people. 
in general, I found, and this was for myself included, because this was happening immediately following my divorce, I had a lot of self-esteem issues at that time. So for me, I needed to be in groups of people and be around others to have any kind of self-worth because being by myself was just scary. Hmm. And to get over it, you know, to, to get over any kind of phobia, you're going to have to increase your exposure to whatever it is you're afraid of. So for, you know, my clients that, you know, report that they're lonely, usually what I'll have them do is create a bucket list. So for me, I did a bucket list of all the things I've always wanted to do, but I wasn't able to do in my relationship. So that included, you know, traveling. I always wanted to take salsa lessons was one of them random. Um, there was a movie I wanted to go and see. And, you know, I had to kind of get through my head. It's acceptable to go to the movies by myself. I don't need to go to the movies with a group of people. So I created this list. And then from there, instead of going on dates, I took a little dating hiatus. Um, I decided to date myself. And I would devote one night each week that I was doing an activity by myself. And what I ended up learning was certain activities like going to the movies. Going to the movies by myself now is one of my favorite things to do. Because really? it is so liberating <laughs> when you arrive that you don't have to, you know, you don't have to consult somebody else on what movie you're going to see. You don't have to ask anybody their opinion on what snacks you should get. <laughs> That's yeah, what I was thinking. That's yeah, what I was thinking. Do what like you I could get my own snacks. <laughs> exactly. You know, so you just got to find activities and it could be reading. It could be, you know, going for a massage, whatever it is, but it's something that you do by yourself that you get used to doing fun things by yourself as opposed to just, you know, being inactive and staying at home and watching Netflix, right? So you got to get out of the house and go and actually do activities on your home and make sure that there are activities that you enjoy. The more that you do it, and this, this actually helps tenfold when it comes to, you know, people who are dating, right? Because when you have this bank of activities that you enjoy doing on your own and you look forward to it, you're not as likely to settle for a, you know, so-so date right? If there's somebody that you kind of feel on the fence with, you yeah. know, or, or you, you, you don't think that you're really a good match, you're not going to accept that date out of just sheer loneliness, you know, and for, you know, to help yourself esteem because you have this list of all these other things that you would rather do more, which ultimately makes you more attractive to the opposite sex. Cause they're like, wow, they have this really robust life that they're always busy and going and doing things. Right. <laughs> you know, I need to, I need to get in on, you know, this person, they seem really fun and exciting. I, I love that. I love the explanation of the difference of solitude and loneliness. Because mm -hmm. honestly, I enjoy being by myself. Yeah, and so many people don't. They're terrified. <laughs> They're terrified of it. And the only way to get over it is to purposely make time to do it. <laughs> I, and I don't know, like in my, like I have to make myself, like even when it comes to networking and doing other things, mm -hmm. um, that's more of a, I don't want to say a forced situation, but I do enjoy being by myself, preferably mm -hmm. watching Judge Judy <laughs> in, in my pajamas and the animals are taking a nap. Like to me, you know, I love, you know, going out with my husband and spending time with my son, but I do uh, love my comp my own company. Right. Mm -hmm. So really quick as we start to wrap up, throughout all of the things that you've been through and your great philosophy on life now, what kept you motivated along the way? 
Uh, for me, it was definitely being the best person possible for my son. Yeah. You know, I knew, you know, I'm who's going to be his example, you know, because he, I have sole custody. So, you know, any example he gets as far as, you know, what kind of person to be, how to handle challenges, um, you know, how to process your emotions, that had to come from me. Hmm. So unless I was proficient in it myself, there was no way I could ever teach him to be that way. So I, I'm very much a, a believer and you lead by example. Yeah. And I just always knew, you know, because within those four years, I mean, I got pregnant with him in the very beginning of it. Hmm. So he's always been, you know, in the back of my mind that, you know, he's who I'm doing all this for. And I'm really glad that I did because he's turned into a really amazing little kid as a Aww. result. So resilient. So yeah, so funny, outgoing. Um, he's always telling his teachers that he's happy. <laughs> I'm happy today. He can identify his emotions and how he feels, uh, which is rare for a four-year-old. So I'm, yeah. I'm really proud with, um, you know, how, how he's come along and how we both developed as people, you know, as a result of everything that we've been through. And that makes him a more, that makes both of you more resilient mm-hmm. and it creates a different kind of relationship because y'all are growing together, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. So how would others describe you in one word? Oh boy. You know, it's (laughs) interesting. I I just last week emailed 20 of 20 of the people that I felt knew me the best and asked them to give me three traits (laughs) (laughs) that they felt uh, were the best. So, um, the number one response that came back was my strength. Mm. How would you describe yourself in one word? Um, hmm. I would probably say honest. I don't sugarcoat things. What you see is what you get. Um, and I'm very passionate about you know, being upfront with people and, you know, helping them become the best version of themselves. And that requires a certain level of honesty to be able to, you know, show people their true some selves. Um, and it's a value that I hold very dearly. So I would say honest. So when you were any of the responses, and these were totally not in my list of questions, but in the responses <laughs> you got back from your friends was honesty one of the traits in the in anybody's three yes and actually it's funny i had two friends in particular they use the term uh you cut through bullshit <laughs> like a nice butter but they both said you cut through bullshit like quickly and easily <laughs> which is really kind of funny but um yeah no it was one of those exercises i was afraid to do i was taking an online class and that was one of the you know requirements I'm so glad I did because it gave me a lot of perspective, especially with, um, you know, now that I'm in coaching, you know, which is a relatively new career change for me that I made the right decision because all of my strengths kind of tie in very nicely to what I'm doing now. I I love that you are strong, strong and honest, the epitome of a define you queen, as I say. (laughs) Well, Ms. Corey, it has definitely been a great interview with you. I have thoroughly enjoyed, you know, your expertise, your wisdom, your your unfiltered honesty. And I know how to get in touch with you, but how can the audience follow you, find you, see what's going on in Corey's world? 
Sure. Well, uh, first step would be you could visit my website. It's www.corielo.com. Um, and also you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. My handle is I am Corey Lowe. I love that. I love that you made it short, sweet, and simple. Yeah. I have to think about that with my handles because people have a problem spelling Valencia, which is simple uh, to me, but mm -hmm. I may need to, you know, kind of switch that up a little bit as 2019 progresses. Yeah, I knew Corey, no one was going to be able to spell my name, so I'm like, let's just make it simple. Let, right. <laughs> let's let's make it simple in case Grammarly is acting up and doesn't recognize it. Exactly. <laughs> well, it has been great, like I said. And guys, I hope y'all enjoyed the interview and learned so much. I definitely learned of the resilience of a woman. I don't know what other words to say. And I'll say of men, men, I try not to leave y'all out because I know y'all support the show. So think about the things you dealt with in life. How are you processing it? Seek a therapist and all of the above, like, but you have to deal with it because you're not alone in dealing with anything. So with that being said, pens and papers down, class is officially over. Make sure you join us next time. Same, same place. However you found me this time, you can find me again. Y'all know that. Until next time, remember your past doesn't define you. It gives you definition. And what you do with that is up to you. Have a great day. Yay. Thank you for listening. Connect with the show at the Define You Facebook. Until next time, remember your past doesn't define you. It gives you definition, and what you do with that is up to you.